Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Today, I'm sitting down with Faisal Kashavji. Faisal is an accomplished healthcare leader who has worked in all facets of the healthcare system, policy, public, private, corporate, and early stage. After having started his career in health administration in Calgary in the early 90s during a time of massive restructuring, Faisal joined Ernst & Young's health consulting practice in New Zealand for several years, where he was the practice lead for post-merger integration and was involved in a number of strategic transformation and technology initiatives in New Zealand, Australia, and Malaysia. Soon after returning to Canada, Faisal was the Director of Business Development for the University of Calgary Faculty of Medicine from 2002 to 2007. He then went on to be the General Manager for Western Canada for GE Healthcare, a $17 billion business of the General Electric Company, a position he held from January 2007 to 2011. From 2011 to 14. Basil was the CEO of RCA Mayfair Diagnostics, a multi-clinic radiology and teleradiology practice. Basil has been quite involved in the health technology sector in Alberta and is a sessional instructor at the University of Calgary on new venture finance. Currently, Faisal operates a boutique consulting practice in the healthcare space and has been involved in a number of engagements involving strategic planning, business growth, due diligence, negotiation, project planning, and operational excellence. He has held or currently holds board positions in a number of healthcare technology companies, such as Circle Cardiovascular, Kent Imaging, and Imagia Cybernetics. He is also the current chair of the Canadian College of Health Leaders, the professional association for Canada's 3,500-plus leaders and industry executives. Faisal holds a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Calgary, a Master of Health Administration from the University of Ottawa, and a Certified Health Executive designation from the Canadian College of Health Leaders. Hello, Faisal, and welcome to Central Line. How are you today? Good, Leah. Thank you for having me. I am so honored to have you here. How is your day going? Not bad, as, as best as you can imagine during uh, this uh, self-isolation period that we're in. Right. We're trying to make the best of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really grateful that you were able to make time in your very busy schedule because I know you have a lot of things on the go, uh, particularly during this time. One of the things I really wanted to have you share with myself and also our listeners is a little bit about your career. Um, you've had quite a unique path to where you are now. So if you can share with us a little bit about what you do now and, and how did you get to this point? You know, that's always one of the hardest questions is when somebody says, what do you do? Because, you know, I, I, have, uh, I have the ability to do uh, and the privilege and honor to do so many different types of things um, uh, as kind of, I guess you could put in air quotes, uh, a day job. And so, uh, you know, right now, I guess you could say I'm a busy consultant in the healthcare space. I work with a number of uh, clients and companies, uh, primarily in either growth, business development, st strategy, 
um, primarily in healthcare. And, and that's really kind of been my entire career has always been in healthcare. I, uh, I started off as a dietary aide at one of the big major hospitals here in Calgary when I was 17 years old. And I've never, uh, I've never looked back. I, I knew that this was the, the, the field that I wanted to be in. I loved kind of the, the fact that there was uh, a bigger purpose at the end of what you were doing, um, namely, you know, uh, health and well-being or the patient. And so that was, that was always uh, something that appealed to me. Uh, I guess you could best describe my career path as, as one with uh, more of a zigzag path, right? I, I, I've been in the public system uh, uh, a few times in and out. I've, I've played in the private. I've, done, I've been in medical device with a big multinational. I've, uh, I've uh, been in uh, the startup uh, uh, ecosystem, which I currently am in right now. And as well as worked in academic healthcare as well, so it's it's uh, it's been a it's been a great kind of career path in the sense that you know you've, you I've I've got to do a lot of things and see has have seen a lot of different models and the different uh, different applications uh, all within uh, the um, the rubric of healthcare. Mm, nice. So what a diverse experience that you've had. Now, I know from our past conversations that you have experienced systems in other parts of the world. And I'm just curious what your, your learning was from those experiences. So, yeah. So obviously, you know, you're referring to I, I, had, the, I had the opportunity to work in uh, uh, the New Zealand, uh, Australian and Malaysian healthcare systems. And, you know, there's I thought they would be so different that everything would be so different. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of the challenges are the same. Care delivery is care delivery. And, um, and so, uh, but how they approach it, the ideas, the, the, the frameworks, the, uh, you know, the motivations, all of those things were the incentives, all of those things were very different. So, learning each healthcare system was almost like doing an MBA because you, you know, you, you really get into uh, a very deep dive from, uh, you know, all aspects from operations to human resources to financial modeling to all of these uh, different types of things that you would, you would uh, look at a system with. And, you know, having, having had that ability to, to experience these different systems is actually uh, you know, you a you learn to kind of almost appreciate the system that that we have here in Canada, and you also see where there are opportunities for improvement. And I think that's just it: is sometimes we consider ourselves in Canada to perhaps be unique, but as you mentioned, there's a lot of similarities, and of course, there's also uh, differences as well. And I think you know, there's a lot of opportunity for us to to learn from those other systems and bring things forward that will only make our, our system better and more efficient. You mentioned that you started in healthcare when you were 17 as a dietary aide. And I think I mentioned to you in the past that I also started when I was quite young as a nursing aide. Now, you said right from the get-go that you knew this was where you wanted to be in terms of being in, in healthcare. Uh, what was it that just really 
connected with you and drew you to this work? Sure. I, I'd have to say it was the energy that, um, that you experienced that, you know, everybody is doing a different job. Uh, if you take like a busy hospital, for example, which is where I started, you know, everybody had a different job, but at the end of the day, their purpose was always unified, right? They were always trying to do a better job you know, if, if I was, you know, making food, it was to make food for a patient so that, you know, the patient would get better. If, you know, right up to somebody who was, uh, say, a physician, they were there to make the patient get better. And everything in between, like every, everybody had this, uh, this unified purpose. And, you know, uh, hospitals are, you know, fun places because there's so much energy in, in a building like that. Uh, you, you see, you see, and it, it really is the is the ultimate equalizer. You see people from all walks of life uh, dealing with the same sort of things. And so uh, it, it really kind of, you know, it, it to me, it, it kind of demonstrated humanity at its at its basis level. And so I've I've always really enjoyed being in any type of health, uh, health environment. You mentioned a, a couple of things that really stood out to me. One is that, um, you know, everybody's drawn towards that common purpose. They're all there for the same reason. And, and also the other point that you made that stood out to me was that it's a unifying factor. So we're all dealing with similar issues or will be dealing with similar issues in our, our lifetime. It sounded like this was a really clear path for you, but along the way, was there ever a point that you doubted where you were going, or did you always know that you were really on the right track? Um, that's, a, that's a difficult question, Leo, because you know, um, you know, career path is one thing. I knew that I wanted to be in healthcare. You know, I I thought about, you know, especially when, you know, one of my, one of my early experiences in my career was when I moved to New Zealand, I was working with one of the, you know, the big five um, consulting companies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in a country like New Zealand, it's a small enough country that you're able to kind of, I guess you could say dabble in other industries. You know, there was, there was lots of uh, ability to work uh, for in, in the aviation business. There's lots of ability to work in because New Zealand is such a strong agricultural market to work in, in agriculture. And so, you know what, I really like healthcare and this is where I belong. So, you know, while my career has done a lot, spanned a lot of uh, different areas of healthcare, it was always in healthcare because I just, I just felt that this is, this is home and this is where I belong. Nice. It's that that connection that I, I sometimes say it's that core connection to your values and who you are. And, and that's where the link is. What's been the biggest surprise? I think the biggest surprise for me, Leah, was, you know, having worked in many different aspects of healthcare, public, private, startup. I think one of the things that I noticed the most was that there was, and if I can keep using that term unifying purpose, that there was that unifying purpose. People actually were developing a new innovation in the startup world because they wanted to make lives better and easier for people. Uh, people were doing research. And when I was uh, working a, in an academic environment, the, the drive for doing research was to make uh, people's health and wellness better. 
and certainly in public and private. Now, everybody had different incentives and different motivations and different uh, infrastructures to deal with. But at the end of the day, it was always the same purpose that they were doing it for. And that that's kind of been the biggest surprise. You, you know, I, I think that when you're when you're really fully ensconced in one side of the healthcare equation, you look over the other fence and you say, well, oh, you know, they must be profit, you know, oriented and then it's all about profit and not about healthcare. You know, having been on all sides of the fence, I, I think the, the real truth is everybody's kind of rowing in the same direction and wants the same thing. Well, and I think we're seeing that particularly right now with COVID-19. Uh, we are seeing people coming together that maybe wouldn't necessarily uh, align in some ways, but because we are facing this unprecedented situation, we're realizing that the alignment is there and has always been there. So Faisal, I'm really interested in knowing, what would you consider the defining moment of your work? There are almost two answers to that, Leah. So the defining moment of my career, if I could, if I could ever, um, you know, pinpoint it to to one thing, was while I was a dietary aide, I knew I kind of liked healthcare, and it was finding uh, a a very kind-hearted uh, hospital administrator who kind of explained the whole industry to me and and uh, encouraged me to you know pursue a master's in, in health administration and. You know, I had I had I not met that individual, uh, and you know, uh, you know, sought his mentorship. I, I don't I don't know where I'd be today. So I think that you know, if one was to uh, to kind of you know put a a single defining moment, that would be it. the the other The other answer about you know from when you ask about the defining moment of my work, it's it's probably broken into a number of sentinel events uh, that have. Uh, allowed my my career to take the path that it has, and those were you know I guess being at the right place at the right time when Alberta was going through regionalization in the mid '90s. You know I had uh, the great fortune and privilege to be part of that that process, and one of the one of the uh, I guess tasks I had was you know, being part of the team that closed the Calgary General Hospital. Uh, as, as much as I love that hospital and worked there, I did, you know, you, ha- you had to do a uh, kind of like an internship between your first and second year of your master's. And that's where I did mine. And I just, uh, I love the place. And um, it was hard to kind of be on the team that was closing it down. Uh, but, you know, that was such a great learning experience in, in lessons on change management in lessons on uh, project management, big picture thinking, uh, all of those things. Those, uh, those experiences allowed me to go and do similar work in New Zealand. And my New Zealand experience allowed me, because it was, uh, it was a, uh, a big, big consulting uh, firm, it allowed me to go and travel around uh, around that part of the world that really led me to see different uh, and get different experiences, which, you know, led on to a number of other experiences uh, back when I returned to Canada, uh, a, a CEO role, and then working in, in the startup uh, community. So 
I think, you know, those kinds, those are the big sentinel events that, that really kind of um, shaped my career. And it's just having those options, right? Well, and it's interesting you mentioned about your lessons that you took away from closing the general and the experiences that you had with that. And I remember how emotional that process was for so many people and their connection to the building, but also the people and the culture and everything that made it special. Um, so with that, I'm interested in knowing what would you say was the most challenging thing you encountered in your time? Well, I, I think you just described it really well is <laughs> the, 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 the general was a very, very special place. It was a very special place. It was, uh, it had, a, it had a great culture and it, and you know, and it, and it has something that I think we're all too acutely aware of today. It, it had a community and that's, you know, that's one of the things that I think we're all lamenting is that we're cut off from our community. And, uh, and so, you know, that was a community that was, uh, that was literally being dispersed, right? Like the, the programs at the general went to eight different locations. Um, it, it, you know, you knew it was never going to be the same. And it was, it was, it was a tough thing to see because it was such a special place, but, uh, you know, but that in itself was, was, was a great lesson, uh, in, 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 you know, in kind of challenging leadership and, and trying to do the change management, uh, uh, that occurred. I think, you know, I think as you go through your, you know, your kind of leadership journey or your, your career journey, you know, you're always going to have challenges. I remember when I was offered the role, um, you know, to go to work in New Zealand and I thought this is such an incredible opportunity to do this. Um, and I think there's probably enough time past it. You know, I'm, I'm not identifying any particular individuals, but, um, you know, the, the CEO at the time of the health authority, uh, told me I was making a, a big mistake and that, you know, I was getting off a career path that was short of seeing me in a senior leadership role. And, you know, when you, when you graduate, you think, Oh, you know, I'd love to be a CEO of a hospital or, uh, you know, and I guess at the time it was regional health authorities were, were in favor at the time. And so, you know, you think that's my career path. And if I just kind of stay, if I stay on the treadmill, I'll just keep, you know, going up and, and you get this, this life changing, uh, literally world-class opportunity comes up and, um, you know, you think this is, this is amazing, you know, and I'm, and I'm a kid of immigrant parents. So, you know, you know, traveling the world and going, moving to another place, you know, was, it was something that my family was encouraging me to do because, you know, they had done it uh, obviously for different reasons, but they had done it, you know, many, many years earlier. And so uh, I, that was, that was a challenging time for me to, to be told directly that you're, you're making the biggest career mistake of your life. And, uh, and I, yet, you know, thankfully I had some very good, close, uh, mentors and, and people that I looked up to that, you know, kind of, um, you know, basically, uh, reiterated what a good, uh, what a good, uh, decision this was to make. And, you know, it kind of turned out that it was the, it was an okay decision to make in my career. Path. Yeah. So that's really interesting because I imagine how disruptive it would be to have the CEO telling you that this is a huge mistake 
um, even though your gut is telling you that this is a great opportunity. Um, so I heard that you you reached out to some other people to kind of reinforce that uh, that belief that it was a great opportunity. But what else did you have to do to to go with what your gut was telling you? It's funny, somebody, somebody, and I'll never forget this, somebody, you know, gave me a fridge magnet at the time that said, sometimes a leap of faith is the only form of transportation you have, right? <laughs> That's brilliant. And, uh, I, and, and I've always remembered that because at some point, you've got to trust in yourself, you've got to believe in yourself. And, you know, they're, you know, intuitively from a value system from a, you know, for a number of reasons, this kind of uh, this kind of made sense to do. And, um, you know, like, and it was just seeing like the universe was telling me this is what I needed to do. And so, you know, um, and, you know, as, as you read in many leadership books, any good leader, uh, would say sometimes you've just got to go with your gut. My gut was telling me this was the right thing to do, despite, you know, despite being told that, you know, I was, you know, and I was in my twenties at the time and being told I'm severely derailing my, my career. And, um, but, you know, I, I stuck to my beliefs, I stuck to my values, I went with my gut. And I'm so glad I did. I, you know, I, I have lifelong friends, like one of my closest friends in the world is somebody I met in New Zealand there. Um, It was just like an incredible, incredible life experience. And um, I think it kind of gave me the opportunities and opened the doors. that I had open to me after the fact that I don't know I necessarily would have had if I stayed on the treadmill. It sounds like it provided you the opportunity to, to, to stretch and to grow, but also it opened up those doors that maybe didn't even exist. And, and, and you never know, maybe that CEO was the, by saying that was the one that drove me to make sure I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, I better make sure it, it works out. And I, you know, maybe I was a little more vigilant about, uh, about, uh, doing all the right things, but, uh, it certainly, you know, it certainly was, uh, you know, it, it gave me pause, but it also, you know, um, it made me realize, uh, I guess that's when I discovered that, that, that feeling inside was, Hey, that's my gut telling me that this is the right thing to do no matter, no matter what. Well, and it paid off. It sounded like. I have to say touch what it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride since. So. I know one of the things that you've been active in throughout your career is, is leadership. And when I say active, I know that you've taken on various roles uh, around leadership. So I'm interested in in knowing, with respect to healthcare leadership, what do you think we're missing? You know, I don't know if we're missing it, but I think I think you know when you in healthcare leadership. Uh, it's it's a very unique form of leadership, right? It is it is uh, mission and purpose that you've got to you've got to deliver no matter what's happening. I think when I look at the leaders that are successful, and you know, certainly as in you know, in my leadership journey, and I don't think anybody's leadership journey is is ever over. You're always learning, and um, and there's always opportunities to lead, whether you have a title or not, right? But when I, when I talk to people and certainly, you know, um, uh, especially in my kind of, I guess you could say my formative years of my career, leadership is not around, um, you know, having, having, getting to a point where everybody's following you. Like everybody thinks that's why I want to be a leader. Everybody follows us, but it's kind of being 
uh, that leader that makes everybody better, that makes us all bigger, smarter, more creative, more, more moral, more, you know, just, you know, better in general. Um, you know, to me, I'd rather be the leader that, um, uh, you know, people want to be led by type of thing as opposed to just saying, well, I finally got to the top of the mountain and everybody's below me and that's what I really wanted to achieve. And so, you know, I think that's the kind of leadership we need now is the one that just brings out the best in people and allows people to bring them their best selves to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious to hear, was there a person or maybe a couple of people that embodied that? Uh, you know, yes to no. There's, there was people that had some elements of that. Um, I think that, you know, there, there have been a number of uh, leaders that you've seen that where, uh, I, I, you know, you start picking up themes. And, and one of the, 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 the clear themes that I've picked up and of the leaders that I really resonated with or there, I really, really enjoyed their leadership style and ones that people wanted to be led by were the ones that were all very values-based. You know, they, you know, to them, values came first, performance came second. And, and, you know, when you even talk to some of these people, they'll say, you know, performance can be coached, it can be trained, you know, it can be incentivized, but values never change. And so when you start looking at those types of leaders, they were very authentic. What you saw was what you got, right? And so it, those are the ones that, that really kind of um, uh, I can relate to. And, and you know, they all, had, they all had a different style. So there was not one style that said, this is the type of leader I want to emulate or want to be like. But when I look at, you know, these are the three or four leaders that I came across uh, in my career that, you know, I would, I would want to be led by those people no matter what. Uh, I would follow them no matter what. Yeah, fascinating. Well, and I think you bring up a very good point about when you have someone who is that person who does embody their values and, and incorporate their values into everything they do, the willingness to follow is there. It's just naturally there the one common denominator from all of them was that whole piece on values. Yeah. Versus people feeling like they're being pulled along. Absolutely. And you know, those values never change. So you can mask them as much as you want, but you, you intuitively knows somebody's values no matter what. And so, uh, you know, that's, you know, to me, that's kind of what stood out the most. I'm curious, do you have a mentor or have you had a mentor? So that's a good question. So I don't, I don't have one particular mentor, but I have a number of mentors that I've had for, uh, I guess, starting 25 years ago, all the way up till now. And I've picked some up along the way. Uh, and one of the things I learned, and I think it's a best practice from my time working at GE, that I had a mentor there who, who was the chief learning officer for GE Healthcare. And anybody he mentored, he insisted that they have a personal board of directors. And I thought that was such an, such an interesting concept. And uh, he actually had, a, you know, like any good GE executive has a template for it. And when he showed me, he said, you know, uh, you know if you want to be successful in life, he said, think of you being the CEO of your career. 
And he said, and what does a good CEO need? A good CEO needs a good board of directors. And, uh, and he said, when you look at some of the, the most successful companies around, they have a diverse board of directors. Everybody on that board is there for a specific reason because of their background, because of their skills, because of their experience. And he said, so why would you not do the same thing for your career? And so he insisted that, you know, I find mentors that I have at least three mentors above me uh, that are in positions that I, uh, I, I want to aspire to be in or whose leadership, uh, whose leadership qualities I admire. Um, he also insisted on having uh, two to three peer mentors. And so he said, because that's where, you know, people need to know what, exactly what you're going through and understand what life you're living right now. And so three peer mentors, and, and by the way, he said all of these mentors couldn't be part in the company. He wanted people, he said there might be people in the company, like he was a mentor of mine that was in the company, but he also insisted on having people outside the company. And so, so you have this diversity of ideas coming at you. And, and then the other uh, aspect of this personal board of directors is also having mentors that are, maybe uh, emerging that, you know, in, in other words, maybe are below you in, in, in their career path or just starting earlier in their career path. And he said for a number of reasons. And he said one is, um, you know, the youth know what's going on. You know, somebody, you know, so you, and they'll remind you when you get too set in your ways. And he said, so there's a lot to be learned from, uh, from that, which, you know, if any of us are of a certain age, you know, you're always going to your, your teenager to help you do something on your phone or program this or find an app for that. So, you know, I can relate to that. Um, I can too. <laughs> Except in my case, it's a four and a half year old. <laughs> and, and they know, they still, they, they know. They know better. Yeah. And, and so, so, um, you know, so, the, so, and also he said, you wouldn't believe how many people don't think about succession planning. And he said, I've seen so many careers derailed because there wasn't adequate succession planning done. And so his advice was find somebody that can be your, success, your successor and start talking to see how, see how their values are aligned with yours or not. And, you know, and, and it, would be very, it would be to your best interest to find you know, your successor sooner rather than later. And so uh, I adopted that kind of philosophy of having this, I guess, personal board of directors throughout life. So, you know, my very long-winded answer to your question of do I have a mentor is no, I have several mentors. And, and some mentors come in uh, and stay there for a long time and some, you know, go out and I get new ones coming in. And, and so, you know, I know there's about you know, there's certain people I call for a specific career decision. There's certain people that I call for a life decision. And it's, um, it's great to have that type of, uh, I'm very blessed and very fortunate to have that type of uh, relationship with them. That's amazing. And what a unique idea. I am just kind of stunned by this idea of a personal board of directors, because I've never heard of that before. Because I think, you know, it's really drawing on that idea of getting that diversity of perspective. Absolutely. 
I think sometimes when we're in leadership roles, it's very easy to fall into that place where we have sometimes blinders on because we're so busy, we're so taxed, uh, maybe we're stressed, you know, all of those factors that come into being a leader that we need to be drawn out of that or supported to to be drawn out of that so we can see see the trees instead of just the forest. Um, Absolutely. So I I think that's a very powerful idea. Yeah, and, and it's funny when somebody asks if I would mentor them, the first thing I do is I send them this template. And I would say probably one out of five, maybe two out of five returns it. Interesting. Right? Because it's a lot of work because you got to think about it and you've got to identify people that, you know, you want to go and ask and, you know, and it's within your field or industry and then maybe it could be outside of your industry. And I'll tell you there, you know, when I was a CEO, I asked some, you know, I reached out to a, uh, you know, a CEO of a large publicly traded company, um, uh, you know, very well known, very, you know, was, you know, very, you know, was in the news, all that kind of thing. But I really liked the values of, of this leader. Uh, very community minded, very uh, philanthropic. Um, and I thought, you know what, this is the kind of leader I like to be in. And I thought, you know, there's probably a 3% chance that he'll he'll kind of accept me as, you know, being on my personal board of directors. And, um, and, you know, and it speaks to his values that when I did ask him, he was flattered and he said, I only have one condition. You come and talk about this concept to my senior team. Oh, wow. So, you know, like it, it, and so, you know, that was one of the lessons that I learned in, in, in this, in this whole kind of setting up your personal board of directors is don't be afraid to ask uh, you know, for whom you want on it, because you'll be surprised at who you'll, who you'll get. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think it really just speaks to those values when people are willing to be generous with their time and also their wisdom as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In healthcare, we're always striving to be able to deliver care uh, more efficiently, um, deliver better quality of care. Uh, for the patient and the family. So what do you see needing to shift or change in order for us to better serve our patients and clients? I think we're in a, we're in a very, very unique time. Like history is going to look back on this time that we're in with, this, with COVID. And, and, and I think that, you know, I've, I've actually believed this and you'll, and you'll know this kind of as it, as it kind of, um, uh, aligns with where I've gone, what I've done in my career. And the, the concept I'm talking about is optionality. You know, the more options we have, the better suited we are to deal with unpredictability and uncertainty. Uh, and, and frankly, we can, you know, stay calm when others panic because we have choices. And so, and no, there's no better time to actually experience that than, than now, right? As a leader of an organization, we need to keep as many options open as possible for our organization, for our people, for our business streams or revenue streams or whatever it may be, whatever business you're in, right? So preserving optionality uh, means avoiding limiting choices or dependencies too, right? So not to be like, and you know, we, we're living this right now, um, 
you know, I, I, I'm more involved in another thing to do with some, some of the PPE stuff. Right. Um, and one of the biggest, and I, I saw a report today that, you know, uh, of the, of the 2 billion face masks that are made in the world, 50% of them, uh, come from China. And so, and you know, when China cuts off from the world as they had to, you are limited in your choices. You're, you're depend, you're, you've increased in dependency. So I think when we come out of that, we're going to see a, a, a very different world. But, it, but it, we're, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be creating more options for ourselves, right? And I think, that, um, I think that as a leader, we need to be thinking like that. And no, you know, I think coming out of COVID, I think people are, are going to be wired to think like that anyway, because everybody has suffered some sort of um, some sort of shock in the whether it's a shock in demand, whether it's um, you know uh, a shock in revenue or whatever. Um, you know, companies that basically said, "Hey, we're a sit-down restaurant. We don't do food delivery." All of a sudden, they're doing food delivery. Uh, companies that said, "Hey, we're a we're a bricks and mortar store. We don't believe in online delivery." Guess what? They're in online delivery, right? And so by, by, by making those kinds of statements, you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, limiting your optionality. And I think as leaders, we've got to be looking at that for any kind of business we're in. So in healthcare, same thing, right? We've got to be looking at it for how do I make sure that my organization has got as many options to treat patients uh, as it does, or has got as many options to um, uh, acquire uh, the supply chain that it needs, you know, and all of those types of things. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a very timely, I think it's a very timely um, concept, uh, especially in what we're facing today that I think all healthcare leaders should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what I wonder about, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this is what is the link between optionality and challenging the status quo? And I asked that recognizing that in the situation that we're in right now, we've been forced to challenge the status quo. We've been forced to think differently, to innovate differently. And so what do you see the link between, between those two? You know, if you accept that optionality is being open to, to doing things differently and, um, and, 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 you know, being open to new thinking and new models, we've been forced to do things differently, but then we've got to look at, okay, how is, you know, is this the new norm? So it's, it's being, it's being open to accept that this might be the new norm. Um, it's be, like, you know, yeah, for instance, I was, I was talking to a doctor uh, a few days ago who, and, you know, was talking that, you know, he had to shift to um, virtual care, you know, using video, video messaging, um, for to deliver care to his patients and you know it was interesting and this is you know an older guy and he said so when things get back to normal i'll be dropping this and i thought wow like are you thinking in terms of you know maybe your patients will get used to the fact they don't have to really take two hours out of their day to come see you to get a prescription renewed Right. And, and, and maybe they won't tolerate that anymore because not everybody is going to be thinking like that because, you know, 
as you know, in society, everything's kind of on a normal distribution, right? Just how we are. And there's going to be adopters of this. And they're not, you know, and, and there's going to be people who's, you know, and we know there are companies that that's their business model, right? So when you look at, you know, Kaiser Permanente, 56% of Kaiser's outpatient visits were done by virtual care last year, right? So you know that this model works. And so you're thinking, wow, now if I was a patient, would I tolerate spending, taking two hours out of my day? just to get a prescription renewed because that's how the funding mechanism works? No, you know, and, and so I think everything that, uh, because we're forced to do this, maybe that was the kind of the kick in the pants that we needed to do it. But why wouldn't we look at it, as, see it as an opportunity and not a threat? Uh, see it as opening, opening up different doors. That we, can you imagine the number of people we can treat now by virtual care? Now that it's kind of de rigueur in, in healthcare, like the rural and remote medicine, I think I think is inextricably changed going forward. And I I think that's right on because I think you know we've been forced to think differently. But the outcome of this is that we're going to be doing things differently, but also better. Exactly. And, and that's a good thing, you know, not that we want to put a silver lining on, on any of the things that we're talking about around COVID, um, but there are going to be some outcomes that arise from this that will be yeah. of, for our benefit and of benefit to us. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the closest kind of, um, you know, the clo- so we have to look back in history where there have been shocks like this that have forced us to do things differently right so uh world war ii was a great example you know world war ii kind of gave us some really um you know kind of changed society's thinking on a number of things one of them was uh, the feminization of the workforce women entered the workforce after world war ii because guess what they had to they had to work during world war ii and so when, once world war ii was over they weren't going back home and saying, this is where I belong. They're like, hey, this is great. I can, I can keep doing this. And so we've seen that when you, when you go back to the Great Depression, when, you know, uh, Roosevelt's um, uh, New Deal, you know, they created social security. They created, they created institutions like the Securities and Exchange Commission that are still in effect today. So, you know, I think that this is the kind, this is another one of those massive cataclysmic shocks that are going to change. And if, and, and like, as you said, there, you know, <laughs> there's certainly no silver lining, but there are opportunities that we should be taking advantage of coming out of this. Yeah. And I think that's it is, you know, how do we be aware of those opportunities? And so maybe that's a really interesting segue into my next question as to um, as, as chair of CCHL, what do you see the role being in the COVID-19 response? First and foremost, our role is, you know, we are a membership-based organization. We've got to make sure that our members have the supports that they need to bring them their best selves to work. We need to make sure because a lot of these people are leaders because it is, a, you know, we, we are the Canadian College of Health leaders. So there are people that are going to be dependent on them. There are people that are going to be looking for direction. And look, we're all human. This is, we've never, nobody's ever come across anything like this. 
And so we all need different types of support, different types of information, different types of uh, mechanisms to cope, to lead. And so as the chair uh, and working with our dedicated staff uh, at the national office is what, what can we provide uh, that are tools for our leaders to kind of lead in this, in this time and what supports do they need to lead? So, you know, we're putting on mental health uh, seminars. Uh, we've got, you know, uh, one of the leading uh, infectious disease specialists in Canada that is going, you know, that gave uh, a webinar the first week into this kind of saying, this is what, this is what we know about COVID. This is what it's all about. And so, um, if leaders feel that they're being supported, then, then then they can go to work and do a good job. And what do you think we need to be either doing differently or more of during this response? I think what's really become important, um, especially when you isolate yourself, is, is the sense of community. And I think there's a real opportunity here, and I'd hate to lose it or, or, you know, or miss it, that we have an opportunity to redefine what the community of healthcare is and, and, and to um, redefine what, you know, what purposeful partnerships are. And, you know, when I look at uh, how quickly silos came down because of a unified problem that we're all trying to solve, when you see, you know, companies coming forward with academics, with physicians and saying, hey, we got to build a, you know, a, a ventilator because we got a shortage. And, you know, nobody like, you know, the things that you think would be there, turf protection, money, this, none of that is the issue. Uh, and so, you know, these are communities that are kind of working together uh, to solve a problem. And it's a very acute problem and it's a very defined problem. And but they're working together to solve it. Now, if we can extrapolate a learning out of that is, how about when we're in, if I can use the term normal, whatever that looks like going forward, uh, uh, but let's just use the term normal for now. But how about, how about when things are back to normal, that those communities still exist, that we don't sit across the table from them, that we're sitting on the same side trying to solve a problem. So I think it's, we're going to change how we think about um, uh, each other, purposeful partnerships. I think we realize how vulnerable society is and how we need to make sure uh, that, um, that society is, uh, is, 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 you know, the, the most vulnerable are treated well because, you know, that's where we're starting to see the suffering, right? And I think that's really insightful, uh, that recognition of those silos coming down and everyone working together towards this this common problem and situation. And I think the other thing that I'm also recognizing, in addition to that, is people acknowledging and recognizing the support of those that perhaps don't always get the spotlight. Um, so those people in our systems that are absolutely crucial to our system. And they kind of are doing their job every single day and they're, they're not front and center. So, you know, specifically one of the groups that I'm thinking of is the housekeeping staff um, that we see in particularly our acute care facilities, but of course in all of our clinics and whatnot. Um, and thinking about each one of the people who are involved in our healthcare system is needed. 
Yes. 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 And and valued and and they should be held up as the critical components in this overall system. Um, and sometimes we miss that when we're in that so-called normal time. And, and Leah, that's exactly where I hope this is the opportunity we don't miss coming out of this, right? We now recognize, recognize how important housekeeping staff are. We recognize that there are, uh, like I said, many people rowing in the same direction to solve the same problem. And now we kind of maybe we'll recognize those ones we kind of overlook and um and 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 you know just take for granted type of thing so i'm hoping that you know we come out of this with that kind of recognition so i know that you're obviously closely linked to leads canada as well and it, yes there's many healthcare leaders that are familiar with the leads framework they've maybe adopted it they've implemented it into their own leadership practice and also many of our systems in canada have implemented it as their overall leadership framework as well so i'm curious to hear your thoughts as to how that leads framework supports our response yeah so you know when you kind of look at leads from um you know from uh you know 30,000 feet up you know it it's you know it's almost like a how to for a pandemic Right. Because when you think about the leads like leading self is, you know, obviously the Allen leads, you know, in a pandemic situation or in a in a, in a crisis situation, you know, there's a lot of demand on the individual leader and how you how you conduct yourself, how you how you, uh, you know, work with others and how you, you know, how you do your business is is certainly something that's very important. Uh, engaging others is is just as important how are you going to kind of rally a team and get a team going to uh uh and like i said you know you got to know when to break silos and when to kind of do the right thing so you know engaging others is definitely um uh, a major component of that achieving results you know at the end of the day it's healthcare we've got to do what we do in healthcare and that's you know keep people well and 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 make sure they they, they get better and so um, you know, that, that, and as you can see, and you just talked about the dedication that people have knowingly going into a dangerous situation because that's what they do. And so the results don't change. And so, you know, that, that has to be there. Uh, I think the last two parts of leads are the ones that, uh, are, are most germane to, to, uh, a COVID world or a post COVID world is, Developing coalitions, I think that is so important nowadays. Uh, we talk about breaking silos. We talk about working with others. Well, we talk about, you know, just kind of being open to everybody's got something to offer, and 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 perhaps, uh, you know, working together, there's a there's a better answer. And so I think the developing coalitions part. I think everybody's going to look at it very differently. And um, the last one, systems transformation. I think there's no better opportunity to transform a system than right now and uh we've we've been given this uh opportunity because we've been forced into it and what we do coming out of it is going to be the real leadership challenge and we have the ability to transform the system we you know there are certain things we talked about optionality we talked about being more adaptive leader uh those things for sure 
but we can change the system for the better. Everybody, everybody intuitively knows what the problems with the healthcare system are, but you know, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's just the way it is. Well, you know, all bets are off the table now because it's changed the way it is, you know, has been suspended for the last few weeks. And so when we get back to it, when we hit the, we've hit a global reset button, does it have to go back to the same thing? Right. Yeah. And that's really a key question. I, I mean, I think about what you just said about the, the situation we're in right now is a big leadership challenge, but almost the bigger challenge will be how do we come out of it? How do we be, be thoughtful and deliberate about that? And that's the biggest leadership challenge. So the leadership challenge right now, in a living in the COVID kind of uh, storm is, yes, it is a big challenge. Like, you know, there are people that are stepping up. There are leaders emerging where people didn't think there were leaders, uh, all of those things. But I, I, I truly believe that the real leadership lesson or the le- real leadership challenge, rather, is going to be coming out of out of COVID and trying to get into what is normal look like. What does normal look like? And and I think the other piece of it is how do we put the pieces back together? Yes. Yeah. What else would you like to share with our listeners that maybe I haven't asked about? It's this uh, being open. Um, it's being open to the new, identifying what are the new ways of working? What are the new ways of delivering care? What are the new ways of leading? Um, and, and, and really almost having a, um, I don't want to say a resistance to going back to doing the way things were, but almost challenging that status quo because we have the ability to challenge it. Uh, I really do think it is, this has been a bit of a reset that we have the ability to fix what was wrong, um, to, um, to improve what was kind of working and to just kind of, you know, kind of blow up and mushroom what was working well and just keep doing more of that. Um, I, I, think, I think our eyes have been open to what, what's truly valuable in society, um, how vulnerable human life is. I think those types of things are very, uh, are very eye-opening for us as well. And so, um, you know, I think the ones who are going to succeed is, uh, are going to be the ones who are op- have, have this openness. So that's the, you know, and I'm, I'm, I've got to do the same. Like we, it, it's different for us. It's going to be a different way of doing things. And and like I said, the 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 more options you open for yourselves, the more the more doors you kind of open, the more options you have, and the and hopefully the the more choices you have. Well said. Well said. So, what is a final piece of wisdom you'd like to share? You, you know, I, I think the final piece of wisdom is um, is one of being grateful. Um, you know, we have a lot to be grateful for. There are a lot of people that are suffering. There are a lot of people that don't have access to the healthcare that we have access to in Canada. Um, and so, you know, I think I think if if people come out with an ounce more of gratitude uh, out of this uh, out of this. Uh, a crisis, then I think the world would be a better place. Powerful thoughts. Faisal, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all of your experiences and wisdom with us. 
Leah, thank you for having me. I, it's, it's an honor to be uh, on your show. And um, I look forward to, to many more interactions. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media. So check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.